Jacob, Stephanie, do you hear that? A, a little. Is it? Is there something on the roof? It's the sound of holiday cheer. <gasps> I love holiday cheer. But not just any holiday cheer. It's holiday cheer Asimov style. This is Galaxy, a podcast about the sci-fi literary universe of Isaac Asimov. Welcome to Galaxy. I'm Jason Stark. I'm Stephanie Yunker. And I'm Jacob Yunker. I am super excited to do this episode today. Uh, We go through the novels and stories of Isaac Asimov and we look at their themes and their meanings and we look at their relevance for today. Um, Are you excited for this episode, Stephanie and Jacob? I'm so excited. I don't believe I'm you. Mostly down for a Christmas episode. Are you excited because of how the amazing level of quality to this story that you've just read? Yes. <laughs> it made me it made me smile. All right. Well, at least there's that. It took Jacob like four tries to get past the opening sentence. <laughs> I definitely laughed. Okay. Well, <laughs> listener, Jacob and Stephanie telegraphed to me that that they're thinking this is going to be a shorter episode than normal. Okay, and I'm trying to understand why when they told me this, but um, it might be because they don't feel like there's anything to talk about here. But I I assure you, I assure you, we are going to have something to talk about. I guess we need to kind of throw it out there what we're actually talking about today, right? Yeah, just bring the the listener into the loop. We are talking about the uh, short story Christmas on Ganymede by our one and only Isaac Asimov. This was written originally in December of 1940, and it actually ended up getting published, believe it or not, in January 1942 in Startling Stories, the sci-fi magazine. So that's kind of sad right there from the beginning that it had to, (laughs) that it got released in January. Um, Poor Asimov. The story was originally rejected by John W. Campbell. If you recall our Asimov bio episode, John W. Campbell was a highly influential figure in Asimov's life as far as his early career as a writer. Um, Gave him a lot of rejection letters, but they were quite nice and quite constructive rejection letters. And um, by golly, this story was included in the the list of ones that that Campbell rejected. It was also purchased by Frederick Pohl, who was uh, another magazine editor. But um, Pohl subsequently uh, ended up canceling the purchase on it. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I think one of the things about this is that timing is of the essence when it comes to publishing, especially if you're publishing a Christmas story. And um, it just came around that Asimov realized uh, about June of 1941, uh, he sold it to startling stories because he realized, you know, you have to sell it early enough so that it's actually ready for publication. Uh, apparently it was a little late because it ended up getting published in, uh, January, 1942. So bummer in that regard. Um, and I also have a quote from him, uh, concerning this story and, and the quote reads, I was trying to be funny. Of course, I had this terrible urge to be funny, you see, and had already indulged in humor in more than one story. Writing humor, however, is harder than digging ditches. Something can be moderately well-written or moderately suspenseful or moderately ingenious and get by in every case. Nothing, however, can be moderately humorous. Something is either funny or it is not funny at all. There is nothing in between. End quote. 
I guess that kind of gives you a thought of maybe how he feels about this story in retrospect. <laughs> it's definitely from his very early writing career, and you can tell. Can you tell? Yeah. Yeah, you can tell. Yep. <laughs> right. You can tell. But like every other Asimov bit of literature that we've been reading, uh, we will offer you a little bit of a synopsis here. You may or may have not read this story. So here we go. Here's a little recap for you. For the story entitled Christmas on Ganymede. I feel like I should be tapping some sleigh bells in the background while you read this, Jason. Oh, we got it. Oh, yes. Meet Olaf Johnson, your average Joe employee of the Ganymedean Products Corporation, which harvests various natural resources from Jupiter's largest moon. Olaf gets himself into very hot water when his boss, Commander Pelham, finds out that he has told the Aussies, an ostrich-like indigenous species of Ganymede that provides labor for the company, all about Santa Claus and how he comes every year at Christmas and delivers presents. The Aussies, being innocent and simple-minded, are very excited about this and want Santa Claus to visit them. If he doesn't come, then they are going to quit their work for the company, and if quota is not made by a certain deadline, then all of the regular employees might very well lose their jobs. The task falls to Olaf to deliver a convincing Santa Claus visit to the Aussies. An old sleigh that conveniently happens to be lying around is rigged up with gravo repulsors. And with hilarious slapstick difficulty, Olaf catches eight spinybacks, a grazing creature kind of like a small elephant. They are harnessed up to the sleigh and liquored up into a stupor, and Olaf dons the big red suit and takes off toward the Aussie meeting hall. In mid-flight, the spinybacks come to, and they panic at finding themselves flying through the air. The sleigh begins to careen out of control just as Olaf is nearing the Aussie meeting hall, Commander Pelham waiting there with them to make sure everything goes okay. The Aussies, meanwhile, have prepared the space with improvised stockings, a hole in the roof for a chimney, and a childlike excitement. After two near-miss flyovers, Olaf crash-lands the sleigh and begins to distribute presents to the Aussies, really just Christmas ball ornaments. The Aussies are overjoyed that Santa has brought them Santa eggs and vow to nurture them until the little Santas hatch. The Aussies also agree to go back to work, but are excited for when Santa comes next year. Commander Pelham and his crew come to the realization, however, that next year, for them, is one Ganymede in orbit around Jupiter, which means that they expect Santa again in a little less than a week. Olaf bolts up and sprints for the sled, Pelham chasing furiously after him. Hey, let's have some fun facts about Ganymede real quick. You ready for this? Yes, please. Okay. There's nothing more fun to talk about. So the orbital period of Ganymede around Jupiter is 172 hours. That is blazing fast. Okay. Yeah. If you consider the fact that it takes the moon one full month to go around the Earth, and then you consider the fact of how gargantuan Jupiter is, um, this is an incredibly fast orbital period. Like this, th- it's insane. Ganymede is only 
outpaced by Io, which is a little bit closer to Jupiter uh, than Ganymede is. I think Io only takes about 40-some hours. Okay, wait. So Ganymede is an actual moon yeah. around Jupiter. This okay. is a re- Yeah, right. Ganymede's real. Nothing much else about Ganymede that you read in the story is real, but the, but <laughs> the place itself actually is. Uh, yeah. Ganymede is actually the largest moon in the solar system, and it's actually larger than the planet Mercury even. But um, interestingly enough, it's a little less massive than Mercury. So that's an interesting little mix of things. Another fun fact about Ganymede, not habitable. Okay, so there is not enough atmosphere to survive without a spacesuit like they do in the story where they're kind of like they've just got like coats and stuff and like some kind of breathing apparatus. Um, No indigenous life, at least on the surface. It could have a subsurface ocean that's also theorized for Europa, which is another moon of Jupiter. It could have a subsurface ocean, and whenever that gets brought up, there's always the question of, well, could there be, could there be life there? Um, but other than that, like the surface is not teeming with elephant-like creatures and and plant life and vegetation that can be harvested uh, for industry or anything. So obviously, much of the the science I'm putting that in quotation marks there in the story obviously does not hold up like at all you know other elements in other books that we've read are at least kind of halfway plausible but um this really does not i don't even feel like it's really trying so i have just realized okay so jupiter is the roman name for zeus and ganymede and europa are both myths that involve zeus abducting someone so europa is a a girl and then ganymede is a boy that was just beautiful. So Zeus wanted him to sit in his, you know, hang out so okay. we could look at him. Yeah, fun fact. Okay. Yeah, the other two moons of the other, well, Jupiter has a lot of moons. There are two other major moons. So there are four inner moons of Jupiter. There's Io, there's Ganymede, there's mm-hmm. Europa, and then there's Callisto. So I'm not sure about the names um, about Io and so- Callisto either, but. I'm pretty sure that Io is another one of Zeus's lovers. And then Callisto, I think as well. I'm going to look it up real quick. You guys keep talking about something else. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Aussies. And we are not referring to our friends down under or anything. I know. I wondered if that would be offensive to an Australian audience. Well, only I think only if we try for the accent. So I'm not going to do that. Um, Yes. Okay. Shout out to our... (laughs) Uh, listeners in Australia, they're like in the top five in terms of places where we get downloads whoop, from. So <laughs> if you're listening from Australia, uh, send us a message. Tell us if you have ostrich-like qualities. Um, the, you can't say that. <laughs> well, no. I mean, they have emus down there, Jacob. Yes, ah, Jacob. Emu-like qualities. I'm sorry no. for the ignorance. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, both Io and Callisto, yes, are lovers of Zeus. So fantastic. And when they sent a probe, they sent they sent one named after his wife, which is very funny. Uh, before we move on, though, uh, since we're talking about folks who are listening to the podcast, did you know that as of the time of this recording? We have been listened to in thirty-seven different countries. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculously That's so amazing. Um, also a majority of us states. Um, it's really cool. Thanks everyone out there who is listening right now, uh, for tuning in and and sticking around with galaxy. It's awesome. Thank you. All right. So the Aussies that is spelled with an O, uh, not with an AU. Um, so they're like this 
bird-like species, all feathery. Um, I don't think that's really the important part about them, though. I think what's really kind of significant about them in the story, if there's much that you can say as far as what's significant in this story, um, I feel like they're like children, right? As you read the story, it's oh. like they are, they're like little kids who are told about Santa and are incredibly excited for Christmas to come. And, you know, they even have like little lisps in the story as you read it. And they're highly suggestible and they're easily upset, apparently, because they're going to quit their jobs if Santa doesn't come. And they're they're easily pleased as well. So high expectations, but also reachable ones. So they're like little kids, right? Yeah, I mean, they're like toddlers who have figured out the most effective way to get what we want is to have a strike. Yeah. And so and then we have the whole Santa scheme that arises because Olaf Johnson has opened up his mouth (laughs) and and given them this idea in their minds. And um, one way or another, the commander is demanding that he that he make good on it. And so, you know, this is done. Why is it done? It's done to appease the Aussies. And it's like this totally practical move when it comes to Christmas. Why are we doing this? So that business will run as it is supposed to. And it's this big, complicated annoyance is how Christmas is is treated in the story and something that is bound to return all too soon. Is this sounding familiar at all? It's very Grinchy. Like, this is the Christmas that the Grinch does not want. It's also probably some pretty good criticism of kind of a materialistic, consumeristic Christmas that kind of can pervade our culture if we're not careful. You know, for all that this story kind of has like this very surfacey sort of appearance to it, I honestly feel like there is actually something going on here. You know, it's not just like a kooky... um, one-off that you try to sell at Christmas time so you can make a little extra dough in your publishing. You know, I feel like there is a little something that's going on that has to do with really the how and the why of Christmas. To me, it feels just like all the things that we end up doing at times to make Christmas special um, for, for our kids. And when I say we, I mean, like, I think this is a cultural thing. And this saying of we, I also mean like my wife and I for our kids, you know, we've had these times where we've tried to make Christmas like special and um, and try to essentially, you know, be really pleasing to them when it comes to the execution of how Christmas goes. Yeah, it actually reminds me I was in I think it was one of my classes, but um the guy in charge, we were watching a little video, was talking about marriage and performing wedding ceremonies, which is, you know, if you're going to be a pastor, you got to learn how to do a wedding ceremony, not screw it up. And that's what this video was. But he said something really interesting. He said, um, "I he likes to tell the bride and the groom, it is your ceremony, but it is not your institution. So it's this idea like, yes, there is so much that you can change and so much that you can um, move to fit your preferences. But ultimately, we're doing this ceremony because there's something bigger than just, you know, you having a party. Like there is a bigger institution that you're stepping into. 
So I, I, I think the connection there is, you know, sometimes we step into Christmas and saying, well, Christmas is for me. Well, yeah, in a lot of ways, holidays are for us. But at the same time, like, there's something bigger that we're pointing to. And, you know, you can see this in, like, the Grinch or, like, the Christmas Carol or in um, the the nativity and, and all of those types of things where you say we're really pointing to something bigger. Um, and that's why we have holidays is to point to something bigger as well as to kind of take the edge off. So we're talking about um, also, you know, how we do Christmas as families, how we do Christmas with our kids. And uh, listener, if you're not aware, we have the delightful news to share. You know, I'll just let them share it. Jacob and Stephanie, go ahead. Jacob, go ahead. Why me? I'm not even the pregnant one. You're the pregnant one. <laughs> That's right. You heard it right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah uh, you're expecting when is the baby due? March 21st. No, I can do this. March 31st, 31st of 2021. There you go, babe. Well, congratulations to you both. And uh, I'm you. sure um, if you're if you're listening right now, uh, you know, take some, take some time and send a word of congratulations to them. Um, we are celebrating along with you and so happy for you. But I, um, I use that announcement. Um, are you very, using my child? Very selfishly to ask a question <laughs> of you, which is yeah. this. What, what are you going to do as far as Santa Claus is concerned? Um, well, I'm, I was, I'm assuming that we're going to do what my parents did, which obviously this is a conversation we should actually have at some point um, because that's how marriage works. Can I but put I'm you on the spot about this? Do, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'm assuming what we're going to do, what my parents did, which is, you know, Santa Claus is a, like around, like we talked about it, but we never believed that Santa was real. Like we got the real background of Santa Claus and then, you know, the tradition that we continue this kind of magical um, experience, but it's not, he's so not he a real was, person. He was a tale, but he wasn't a being that made the season's purpose. Exactly. Yeah. By his continual immortality. Yes. And and we very much focused in on um the nativity and Jesus' birth. Um and that sort of thing. Because I I was raised as a Christian, like that's how our family culture is. So set Christmas mornings, we would sit down and we'd read, you know, Luke two and read through the Christmas story, like you hear on the Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. And then we would open our presents because there was this orientation toward this is the bigger purpose. And we enjoy. When you say focusing on the tale of Santa Claus, do you mean like the actual history of St. Nicholas? Yeah, St. Nicholas punching her, uh, what's the heretics? Arius. Face? He punched Arius in yeah, the face. Yeah, we want to talk about how St. Nicholas punched Arius in the face. That's well, a much cooler and not only Santa that, Claus then. <laughs> yeah, it is a much cooler Santa Claus. And not only that, but, you know, the tradition of giving gifts and the tradition, Taking like you love the, the Rudolph story and you love you know, elf and you love those Christmas movies and they there's something magical about allowing for, you know, magic and the holiday spirit. And even though we don't um necessarily believe that magic is real, there is still something beautiful about enjoying you can, a story together. Yeah. You can feel the magic together being relationally yeah. connected, but it doesn't have to be and the generosity of Santa Claus. 
Generosity is a good te- lesson to teach. Yeah, I think ultimately we just want to steer away from the consumerism and let it be a time of, you know, joy and peace and, and celebration. I'll say for our part, you know, like we do not, we don't really do Santa Claus. You know, we mm-hmm. have, they know that St. Nicholas was a real person. And so at times we've kind of talked about the history of St. Nicholas and why modern um, iterations of Santa Claus, you know, where those things kind of come from a little bit, like the historical kernels that kind of lie between. Mm-hmm. I'm making it sound like the nerdiest thing ever talking about this no, with my I'm, kids. I'm totally picturing that all of your children have doctoral understandings of the history, historical context of this holiday. No, it's the Veggie Tales. It's the Veggie Tales. <laughs> yeah, there's about, a why do you call it Christmas? Right. Um, you know? No, but so we don't do we don't do Santa Claus like we've never really put Santa Claus out there as as a real thing in the way that's done these days. And so we're cool with it and they're cool with it. Uh, it is interesting, though, when it comes to how they interact with their friends whose mm-hmm. families actually do the whole Santa Claus thing, because that can make it kind of awkward. Like, how do you how do you make sure that your kids don't play the role of like mega spoiler and and tell them that Santa Claus isn't real. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's an interesting one. It's something we've had to kind of wrestle with over the years, but it's just, it's kind of where we're at. So I think this is a good time to take a quick little break and we will be right back with more about our lovely little story, Christmas on Ganymede. This episode of Galaxy is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the number one source for audiobooks and also offers podcasts, guided wellness programs, Audible originals, and more. They have thousands of titles, and that includes every Asimov novel that we will be discussing on Galaxy. From Foundation to iRobot to the end of eternity, Audible has you covered. In prep for our episodes, I have primarily been listening to these books, and Jacob has been listening during his to and from work commutes as well. Whether commuting, exercising, or just relaxing at home, Audible is a great way to experience new books as well as your all-time favorites. You can start a 30-day free trial that includes a free title of your choice and access to Audible's content through the Audible Plus catalog. Visit audibletrial.com slash galaxypodcast to start your free trial today. That's audibletrial.com slash galaxypodcast. Talking about the hows and the whys of Christmas, like from a broader cultural kind of consumeristic sort of viewpoint, I'm thinking about, again, our, our, our friends in the story, the Aussies, and what they're expecting and the the people who work for this corporation who are trying to appease them i'm thinking about you know when it comes to like santa claus for example we have all these kind of contemporary um i guess secular traditions that go into that everything from like letters to santa cookies and milk um presents that are like from santa you know like like on the to and from tag that goes on the present. It's like actually from Santa or going to the mall and going and seeing the mall Santa and telling 
what you want for Christmas, like those those kinds of things. I always thought the mall Santa was really scary. Me too. Like we were terrified as kids. But like, it's like, what is it that drives this like societally? I'll say right now that, you know, we're, we're doing this from the U S and I, I'm not exactly sure about everybody else's Christmas traditions in different countries. And I'll also, I'll throw it out there. I know that we're, we, we're also listened to in places where Christmas probably isn't really celebrated all that much. Like we're not trying to exclude other people's holidays or anything. Um, it's just, you know, it's what, it's what we celebrate. And so we're, we're having fun with the episode. Yeah. We, we don't it's mean to offend the- anybody. It's what Asimov was writing about. It's not that we're trying to negate the rest of the world. We're just, this is Christmas on Ganymede, so we're talking about Christmas. And he was living in America at the time, and we're American, so. Yeah. And so, I, I, but I think the question is, when thinking about all these, like, again, I, I guess I would refer to them as, like, kind of secular or cultural Christmassy traditions. What is it that that, that drives these things? Well, um, I have an idea uh, I think it's really well il- illustrated by the Aussies receiving their own little Santa eggs, right? And and they and they think they're gonna hatch little Santa Clauses that they can all have. Um, you're connecting this to Hatchimals, aren't you? No, but I like where you're going with that. Okay. <laughs> no, it's very different. It's very funny, and it's funny because like kids sometimes misunderstand things like that. But I think the point could be that yes it's a misunderstood thing because they all selfishly want their own grab at christmas Mm -hmm. and i think that's where we get some of these weird um traditions where like if santa claus if there really is a being that brings you what you want when you want it well this once a year but only um, if you're good but only if you're good whatever moral standard that is very ambiguously set up then maybe let's write some letters to him so he knows what to bring me, you know? Right. Or maybe if I'm a parent who knows Santa Claus, well, more or less, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything for any adults, but <laughs> um, I more or less knows that Santa Claus doesn't exist and I have to fill that role. Um, maybe in, because I work too much, it's hard to develop a relationship with the kid and know exactly what they want. Maybe if I just get them to write it out in a letter to Santa, I will then know. And I feel like a lot of these things come from getting away from an original why and more trying to appease children. Like all these traditions, a lot of the, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of these arcane, silly traditions come from appeasing children a little more, a little more, a little more. Well, I have I have another thought on that. Um, actually, I think anthropologically or sociologically, I don't know, one of those, somebody who studies people, like groups of people, it is really important to have holidays in a culture, in any culture. Oh, yeah. So. And, you know, those holidays vary, but you have holidays in part because everybody needs a time to let loose. You know, everybody needs a break. Everybody needs to stop working. Everybody needs time to stop and focus in on on their family or, or on things that are important to them. And, you know, even in our culture, which is fairly work, work, work all the time, things still close on Christmas. Things still close on Thanksgiving Day. Most things. You know, and if you're in the South, things still close on Easter. So there's still, we still need that release. 
you you need a cultural release valve and uh holidays serve that purpose is a, a cultural release valve and even in just like the small culture of your family like kids need a release valve where they you know where they get to let loose a little bit where they get to run around a little bit more where they get to be excited and and, and that sort of thing so that's interesting like when you're talking about the the release valve i feel like you know that that serves its healthy purpose and i also feel like like it becomes less about the like that larger goal and then it ends mm-hmm. up becoming more about the thing itself yep. like i was going to ask like and i feel like maybe i know where you're heading if i ask you this jacob but um or stephanie like has christmas become too kid centric i guess <laughs> what do you feel how do you feel about I- that I will let Stephanie answer first. It, in my opinion, Christmas has become um, satisfying the kid within, the kid within that wants to raid the candy store, and not necessarily about um, you know peace or joy or having family time or building those relationships or you know important things like that. If that makes sense. Um, and I and I think I agree with you, Stephanie. In in America, at least. You can kind of see this trend of Christmas being more about pacifying and then more about, well, I've been, I've pacified enough, uh, enough other people. It's time to take care of me. And then it's, I, I need to take care of me more because I'm not getting everything I thought I need. I'm not being satisfied. So I need to take care of myself more and more and more and more. And I mean, like, we're getting to the point now where, um, like half the commercials I see for Christmas are about buying your own self a car for you. And that is, that's the whole point. Not only that, but a commercial after that followed follows up and there's like no family members in that commercial about Christmas at all. And like we're seeing less and less family members in Christmas commercials. And and I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer, but I I definitely see that the the commercialization of this holiday has gone from let's make family time easier to you don't really need to focus on the family just need to suffer them for another day of the year. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, I think American culture on the broad scale, very, very broad scale has really, we're, we're taking the time off to enjoy Christmas and we're taking the time off. And who do you take time off with everyone else who lives in your household? Right. So I guess that makes it family time, but I don't see that as a being a family centric Christmas. I see that as happening to be in the same house with other people who got the day off as you. Right. Um, I think that stream is there in in the culture, but I don't know that if it's dominant or if it's the only stream. I don't know if it's dominant, but it is, I think, a vein that is in many other streams of Christmas interpretation in America. You got to wonder, like, where that comes from, because I'm thinking about, like, advertising and marketing and the desire for um, the desire for marketers and businesses to push that, you know, the, the invested interest that they have in pushing that kind of vision of Christmas that is more about, you know, the stuff you get. And like, is that like a cyclical thing or a thing that kind of feeds back on itself? Because the more that people are formed by the media that they consume, including all the commercials and all the targeted ads that they have on the internet for the stuff that uh, they already want, whether that begins to kind of form culture up into actually taking on that that attitude is that coming is that where it's coming from or does that develop in other ways 
I think it is a bit of an echo chamber um, where we're responding, being formed by media, and um, and forming media ourselves. I just want to interject and then let you finish. Mm-hmm. But the whole, like one of the major tenets of marketing, advertising, psychology, which is a big branch of organizational psychology, is how to make people feel that they are unsatisfied or they have a need. If people don't feel that way, then they won't go buy things. So there's a whole psychology to making people feel unsatisfied um, and scarce. Um, So they have to go buy your product to fill that scarcity. You have to make the vacuum first in advertising. Yeah, and actually that brings me to my like second thing that I was going to say is that we all have holes inside of us where, you know, things aren't quite fitting out. Like we're, we're waiting for something. We're waiting for something good. So we can say that that is, um, we can say that that's family. We can say that that's higher values. We can say that that is um, a religion or or we can say that that is feeling satisfied in some way with what we have. And really, you see this. It's interesting that we're talking about this again, because this is like the Christmas question, which would be the fun name of a book or a paper or something. But anyway, this is the Christmas question. You know, where do you find your happiness? Do you find it in things? Do you find it in boxes and bows and hams and the things that, you know, the Grinch steals away? Yeah, exactly. Or do you find it in something deeper, something that is actually going to last beyond the season? Does anyone have a brilliant way to bring this back to Asimov? (laughs) Well, I mean, Asimov did a... I think he did a good job representing a lot of what we just spoke about um, very quickly. You know, the Aussies are children-like and they have needs that they, they didn't know... Like they didn't, they they didn't know they were unsatisfied until someone told them about Santa Claus, right? And then, and then they were like, "Ah, this is better happen or else." And then, and then Commander Pelham and and all these employees kind of represent the parents who they need to find some way to keep these these Aussies satisfied, and they also kind of represent the the commercial side of things. I mean, they are literally celebrating Christmas in order to help drive the economy. Right. So they don't, so they don't lose their jobs, you know? So it's like, I feel like there's kind of this multi-layered thing that they represent. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether Asimov is doing more than just like critiquing. Like I could sense critique, I suppose. I don't even, I mean, maybe, maybe we're just reading critique into something that was intended to be this funny, goofy story, but I feel like there is the potential for the critique to be really salient when it comes to those elements. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like he's offering any, anything that's like a, like an antidote kind of picture? Mm, probably not. Yeah. It sounds like he kind of ends with the cycle. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's yeah. like Christmas is on its way again, but that's the feeling sometimes that you get when you think about it. It's really sad, but sometimes Christmas ends and you say like, Wow, I'm glad that's over. You know, like if you're on the side of things where Christmas just is a tiring event and I've been there, 
Mm-hmm. Christmas is like this exhausting event that you get ready for, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I just I, I feel mm-hmm. like what you said, Jacob, is is, is totally on that it it it's about the the continuing cycle of it at the end. And that's where I think both with the Aussies to kind of pull them out of this place and with our culture where you kind of have to find this balance of Yes, this is your event, but it's not your institution. Yes, this is your your time, but it's not your holiday. That there's something bigger, because we all have to have something bigger than us that gives us meaning, whether that's a philosophy like Nietzscheism, or uh, whether that's a religion, or... You know, some people choose politics. Like, we all choose something that is the biggest thing in our lives. So... If if you want to separate yourself from just, you know, I guess it's Christmas again. You've got to find something bigger and define it that you're putting your hope in, that you're saying this is how we're actually going to define it. And for the Aussies, really what they wanted, they wanted fun. They wanted joy. They wanted a break. And, you know, if that's what they want, one day, you know, one day off a week is not going to kill your profits. Maybe... Um, you, the listener, could tell us a bit about your holiday traditions and holiday thoughts and, and what goes into a holiday for you. Absolutely. We want to hear from you. Um, we want you to get in contact with us and share your thoughts. Be a part of this conversation. Also, um, you know, we, we want to wish you the happiest of holiday seasons. It's been, as we've already kind of talked about, it's been a very hard year for all of us in one way, shape, or form. Um, who knows? I mean, the holidays might be something for you that's actually not a joyous thing for one reason or another in your life that might be a really challenging time. And so um, we certainly want to wish you the best. So if you want to contact us and be a part of our conversation, there are a lot of ways to do that, right? Yeah, you can always send us an email at contact at galaxypodcast.com. You can send us a letter to the North Pole and Santa will forward it to us. Really? When did we set that up? That's so cool. You got to pay attention when we have these meetings, man. Ugh. You can get in contact with us on our Facebook at Galaxy Podcast. And you can head to our website, which is galaxypodcast.com. And there's a lot for you there. You can learn about us. Um, you can also, uh, there's a link right there for you to click on if you want to send us that email that we were talking about. You can listen to all of our episodes, and you can also find a lot of different links to subscribe to the podcast through many different podcasting apps. And uh, once again, we wish you the happiest of holiday seasons, a Merry Christmas, and we hope that you'd come back and join us again soon. I'm Jason Stark. I'm Stephanie Yunker. And I'm Jacob Yunker. And this has been Galaxy. Galaxy.